If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Mark, chapter 11. So we've been in this series, this Tough Questions series, and I think all of us at times have wondered about this next question that we're going to tackle today, and that is, why does God not always answer my prayers? So yesterday morning, it's a Saturday, I'm supposed to sleep in, but I did not. I got up uh, about 6 o'clock in the morning, and my prayer was this, God, you know that my book, Manuscript Revisions, and if you don't know, I'm writing a book, and the revisions are due next weekend. And I said, God, I really need to knock out two chapters today. And if you can help these words be your words, and if you can help me knock out two chapters today, I'd sure appreciate it. And um, at 10.15 last night, I finished one chapter. (laughs) Um, Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers exactly like we pray, right? And we kind of laugh about that one because, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I may need to stay up, you know, a little bit later tonight or another time this week. Okay, that's fine. But what if the prayer is, Lord, help my friend walk out of this hospital, and it doesn't happen? And we're not laughing anymore. Then, then the question is, yeah, I wonder why God. Then it's like, God, why did you not answer my prayer, and we've all had the uh, awkwardness and discomfort of being on a phone call when they get static in the line, and especially if the person is saying something really important to you, and you have no idea what they're saying, uh, and you're like, wait, wait, can, can you move, can you get somewhere else? And it's even more frustrating if you're the person trying to communicate something, and there's static on the phone line, and sometimes it feels like maybe there's some static between our communication between us and God. And so why does God sometimes not say yes? So first of all, I just want to say this kind of statement, and then we'll move on. If you have a friend who comes and says, why in the world did God say no to me? You probably don't need to preach them this sermon. You probably need to give them a hug and love them and make them a meal. And then maybe the time will come where you can open up your scriptures and talk about some of this. But what we're doing today is jumping into the study of this, not necessarily how you always respond to somebody who's feeling this. Those are two different things. Got me? Okay, we're good. Now we can move into the question. Last week, we introduced this metaphor of the parakeet from Scott McKnight's book. It talks about how a parakeet is made to fly. And he discovered this when he found a parakeet in his backyard doing all these tricks and swooping and swirled and all of this. But when you take a parakeet and put it in the cage, it can only do a few things. And oftentimes, when we read the Bible, we try to take the Bible and cram it into our cage, our our theological cage, our doctrinal cage, the cage of our tradition, our history, our preference. And we say, okay, Bible, fit into this. And the Bible is not made to be fit into my cage or your cage or anyone's cage. The Bible speaks for itself. And this morning, once again, I just want to remind you, let's let the Bible say what the Bible says. Let's let God say what God says. And even if it gets outside of our cage, let's be okay with that. Let's be good with that. So today I want to begin with two scriptures. And when you read them back to back, they almost feel like they contradict each other. So again, we're not going to try to put it in a cage We're going to try to to just study both of these scriptures. Mark 11, verses 23 through 25. That's where I want to begin. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, 
it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. So it seems like this verse is saying, if you pray something, God will do it. Let's flip over a couple pages. Mark chapter 14, verses 35 and 36, we find Jesus in the garden right before he's about to be crucified. He knows it's coming. The the emotional pain that he is feeling right then is overwhelming. In fact, it's so great that it knocks him to the ground. Let's read what happens. Going a little further, Jesus fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Hmm. So Mark 11 could be used to say, God will give you whatever you ask for. But Mark 14 could be used to say, God says no to even your deepest request. How do you live with both of those texts? Well, let me just give a little bit of context. The Mark 11 parable seems to be in response to Jesus' cleansing at the, ta- at the temple. He's upset with the unbelief of the Jews, and it feels like the, the Jewish religious people are never going to believe in him and never going to follow him. And it's as if Jesus is saying, it, it seems like they can never believe in me, but even a mountain could be tossed into the sea. Does that give you at least a little bit of nuance to that when we kind of look at that? But, but Jesus is saying, never say impossible. I don't know that God has the word impossible in his vocabulary. What is impossible for God? It just means nothing to him, right? It's impossible to create life. It's impossible to put a, a planet in the solar system where people can actually live. It's impossible for a baby to be born and grow up and be healthy. But, so God doesn't really care about impossible, That's not really part of his vocabulary, I don't think. And Jesus reminds us everything is possible, but sometimes, even though it's possible, God says no or not yet. Think about it for a moment. What if God the Father would have said yes to Jesus' request? When Jesus says, I don't I don't know that I can go through with this. Do I have to go through with dying on the cross for their sins? What if God the Father says, yeah, let's forget about it. It's too painful for you. Let's just forget about it. You know what happens? We're all toast. I mean, cosmic implications. Eternal implications. And so when we look at that picture, we say, I'm so thankful that God the Father said, this is the way. And then we look at Jesus saying, okay, your will, not mine. If I had to answer today's tough question in just one sentence, if you said, okay, come on, now why does God sometimes not answer my prayers? Here's the one statement for you. God cares deeply for you, but he cares even more deeply about his mission to save souls, including yours. I think sometimes we get confused about What is it that God cares most about? Is it about how I feel or about my soul and my spiritual life? A couple months ago, I told the story a little bit of Johnny Erickson Tata. I want to tell just a little bit more today. She was a a quadriplegic, uh, paralyzed uh, as a young adult. 
And she prayed and she pleaded that God would heal her. She went to countless healing services. She had the elders anoint her with oil. She did everything that you could to follow the biblical pattern for asking for healing. But as she writes, some, for some reason, my hands and feet weren't getting the message. And so she's lived in a wheelchair for five decades. And she's had to wrestle with this. Why is God saying no? And at first it really bothered her. And it really troubled her. But then she read this little passage in Mark chapter 1. It changed her view. And in Mark chapter 1, Jesus is in Capernaum and he's healing the sick. And the sick are coming to him in droves. And he has this full day full of healing people. And then it's uh, nighttime and everybody gets up in the morning and they go looking for Jesus, bringing the sick. But Jesus isn't there. And so the disciples go looking for him, and he's up on a mountain praying. And they say, Jesus, what are you doing up here praying? All these people need you down here. And listen to what Jesus says. We must go to the other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. You see, for Jesus, he cared about the sick. It's why he healed so many. He cares about you. But Jesus cares even more deeply about people hearing the gospel and their spiritual lives being saved. And Jesus seems to be concerned that if people only view him as a get-me-well card, then he needs to leave. Because Jesus wants to heal your soul, not just your body. And the moment we start only looking to Jesus to heal our bodies, I think Jesus gets uncomfortable with that. Because he wants much more in a relationship with us. So there's a few questions that we can just ask, and it's kind of with this hard swallow of God has said, He's told us, you're going to suffer some. You're going to suffer some in this life. And for some reason, we don't always hear that, but He says it time and again through Scripture. It's pretty obvious, but it leads us just to a few questions I want to just kind of rock it through real quick. Does God want us to pray for healing? Absolutely. That's clear in Scripture. Pray for healing. God cares for you. Go to him. So should we expect God to heal every sickness? No. Does that mean we don't pray in faith? No, we pray in faith. We know that God can do the impossible, and he can heal us. But we also realize that we live in a broken world, that the fullness of Christ's kingdom is not here. One day, the Bible says, Jesus will wipe every tear there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sickness. None of that stuff. That day is coming, but it's not here yet, is it? We get little glimpses of it sometimes. We get little taste of it sometimes. But what it means is that sometimes in this world, we'll experience the brokenness of this world. And it's not just about the physical. We see the brokenness emotionally and relationally and spiritually. We also feel it physically sometimes. So does it show a lack of faith if people pray but they're not healed? You know, some churches teach that. And I would say a great big fat no. Because if that's the truth, then Job had no faith, and Peter had no faith, and Paul had no faith, and Jesus had no faith. You want to go there? No, if, if we pray, God may be saying, not yet. Or God may be saying, I know something that you don't know. And I'm going to do something great that you can't even imagine. And your faith is fantastic. I love your faith, even though I'm telling you no at this point. So what should our response be when God doesn't heal us? 
Well, Job said, should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? In other words, we still have faith. We still trust that God knows best. So with that said, I want to get really practical with you today. And if, if you're kind of an outline kind of person, today's your sermon. I sometimes preach a little more narrative-driven, but today we're going to outline a little bit. And I just began thinking and kind of studying scripture of what are some things that even though God is in control, even though he has authority to listen to us at any point, he also outlines some things in scriptures in which he says, if you do these things, there's going to be static on the phone between you and me. And so I want to talk about some things that cause static in our prayer life this morning. We're just going to outline through them. The first thing is this, a lack of faith and persistence will cause static in your prayer life. If, if you just give up or if you think, well, God doesn't care or God can't do anything about it or it's too big of a problem or my sins are too much, then there's some static. God says pray with faith, pray with persistence. He tells a, a, a parable about or t- tells a story about this woman who just comes and just keeps knocking. Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. And that's the kind of prayer life we have. You could almost call it shameless audacity. Just, yes, God, I, I'm still asking this. And I'm okay with how, whatever you decide, but I'm still asking. The second thing that can cause static in our prayer lives is arrogance. This is a big one. And the story in Luke 18 of this arrogant Pharisee who says, God, I'm so thankful I'm not like that sinner. And the Bible says, that's going to put some static in your prayer life. Because think about this. If you were to walk before the king of a country, you bow down. How much more so the king of the universe, the king of eternity? We don't come to the king of eternity with arrogance saying, hey, God, I prayed this, so I expect you to get moving on it. No. No, we come to God on our knees saying, you are the king. You see things I can never see. And I'm just here, and it's an honor and a privilege that you would even listen to me. But I come out of total humility. And I know that I'm not better than anybody else. And I know that I have sinned, but you are good to me. When Job gets a little pushy with God, God listens for a long, he puts up with it for a long time. And finally, God's basically, let me summarize a couple chapters. God just says, who do you think you are? Let me remind you of a couple things, buddy. You know how the stars work, how the animal kingdom works. You know how life works, because I do. So easy with the tone here. And when we go before God, if we expect God to meet our every request, who is God at that point? We've elevated ourselves, tried to anyway, above him. There's a third thing that can put static in our prayer life. And... I, I could have toned this down a little bit, but I just decided I'm not, I'm not going to because the Bible uses these kind of words. Selfish and stupid request. That'll put some static in your prayer life. When James and John, the, the brothers, disciples, were walking with Jesus one day, they started plotting about how they could, when they get to heaven, be elevated above everybody else. That's their discussion. And they come to Jesus, and before they ask him if they can have that happen, they ask him this. Jesus We want you to do for us whatever we ask. Can you imagine saying that to Jesus? Hey, Jesus, whatever we ask, it's like a genie in a bottle. Whatever we say, will you grant it? Will you do it? 
in the book of James, later on in the Bible, says, being critical of people, you ask God so he'll give you money, which you'll spend on yourself, personal pleasures. He Sometimes it's possible, let's just admit it, for us to ask some stupid things. I know the teacher in school said there's no such thing as stupid questions. James and John's question was a stupid question. Because it was like, hey God, I think you should care about me more than anybody else. That falls into stupid and selfish prayer requests. And God says, don't, don't do that. I'm not interested in elevating you above everybody else out there. I'm not interested in making your life now or your eternity better than everybody else's. You're not more important than everybody else. It's kind of like when your kid comes to you and they may be serious or they may be playful and they say, hey, um, I'm your favorite kid, right? And, you know, my response is, no, actually, now you're down to least favorite kid of the day um, just because you asked. And so it's kind of like, hey, God, I'm your favorite kid, right? No. God says, I love all these people. I love everyone here. And so there's three more things that can cause static, and they all come from 1 Peter 3. So if you want to turn over to 1 Peter 3, it's a fantastic chapter and pretty sobering. While you're turning there, let me read static number four. It's this. One thing that can cause major static in your prayer life is if you mistreat your wife. Did you know that's in the Bible? It says, be considerate, husbands, as you live with your wives so nothing will hinder your prayers. Did you catch that, guys? God cares so much about how you treat your wife and, and, and that you consider her. You consider her needs. You consider um, what she needs from you, that you are considerate of her. And if, if you don't care about her, God says, I care so much about how you treat her that this is what I'm telling you right now. Listen up, guys. Wow. Okay. That may need to... That statement might need to rearrange some guys' schedules this afternoon, right? Be considerate of each other. Care for each other. 1 Peter 3 goes on. We're going to read some here. Uh, Look at verse 8. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, Repay evil with blessing. Because of this, you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And listen to this. And his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So this next static in our prayer lives can be caused because of a lack of forgiveness. Jesus said it this way, if you won't forgive your brother, your neighbor, the person who sinned against you, your heavenly father won't forgive you. God cares that much about forgiveness. That I'm not saying it'll be easy to forgive the person who's hurt you. And I'm not even saying that you shouldn't have boundaries and get away from abusive times and um, be cautious, but... I'm also not saying that Jesus doesn't care about forgiveness and say, listen, there's going to be major static in your prayer life if you're going around holding grudges against other people and you're not forgiving them. John Piper uses an illustration, and it's not a perfect metaphor. You can't run with it forever, but you'll remember it. He says, Jesus Jesus can't kiss his drunk bride. And he tells a story. Imagine a husband whose wife has left him 
and he goes out looking for her. And he finds her stumbling down the street, drunk and disheveled and making an embarrassment of everyone. And the husband might come to her and he might try to help her. He might try to get her back to the family where she can get cleaned up and get better. But if in the process of doing this, the wife turns and tries to kiss him, her breath just stinks too bad that he can't do it and he looks away. And Piper says, maybe that's a little bit what it's like when the Christian has chosen sin over following Jesus and then tries to pray. Did you catch this verse? The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. It's almost like, ooh, I want you to love me and to love people. And God is not calling us to be and saying, you have to be perfect for me to listen. Don't hear me say that. But there is some responsibility on our part that if we want to have God's ear, God says, Act like you care about me and like you care about other people. There's a sixth and final way I see that can certainly cause static in our prayer life. And it comes from chapter 4, 1 Peter, verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. You see, if you're distracted in life, you're not even going to think about praying. You're going to be too busy, too much stuff going on. I want you just to pause for a moment here. I want to ask you three kind of get real questions, okay? And when I ask you these three questions, can you just kind of answer them in your mind for a moment? Question number one, do you spend more time surfing the internet than studying the scriptures? How do you feel about that? I've had some days like that. Do you spend more time on Facebook than seeking the face of God. How do you feel about that? Are you so busy that life manages you instead of you allowing God to manage your life? And those are tough questions because they make us feel guilty, don't they? And I don't want you to only feel guilty. I want you to know that when we step back and think, what are my real priorities in life? Isn't one of your great priorities in life, the great priority in life, to be with God? And yet our daily schedules don't allow for that so often. This past week, um, there was a a lady who had called the church kind of over and over and over and over, um, saying she she needed $20. And if she didn't get $20, then her family was going to be homeless that night. And... Um, I've been around the block enough to know that sometimes these stories are true and sometimes they're not true. And it's completely outside of how the 220 Center operates. You know if you've been here that we send all of our benevolence needs through the 220 Food Pantry where we have a great system and great people in place to really help people long term. And so somebody calling or just stopping and say, hey, can you give me 20 bucks is a typical no from us. Okay. Um, With that said, uh, I was just thinking, man, if that's really true, if it really is just 20 bucks, and the, you know, the 220 Center isn't open, and today's a Thursday, then gosh, I, I, I can't do it with 220 money, but I got $20 in my, in my wallet. And so I was kind of wrestling back and forth, and finally I thought, okay, I've got just a little bit of time. So I drove uh, to the hotel where she and her family were supposed to be staying, and um, I don't know if you're supposed to do this or not, but I said, God, 
if she's there outside and I see her, I will pay. But if I don't see her when I pull in, standing outside with her kids, I'm not paying. I don't know if that's fair, God. It's just all I got. (laughs) And so I pulled in. She wasn't there. But I thought, "Ah, I'm just at least going to go in and talk to the front desk. And so I walked in the front desk and said, hey, here's the situation. This lady calling and needing help, and I have no idea if she's telling the truth or not, and I want to be a good steward of the money and so we can help people long-term, da-da-da-da, all this. And she said, I so appreciate that your church does that, and I really appreciate that. And she said, here's what I know. And when she told me, I said, oh, well, according to what you're telling me, she's been lying to me and she's been lying to you both. So that means I'm not going to pay the $20. And she said, oh, I'm really sorry that she did that to you. And I was like, well, you don't need to apologize for anything. And I noticed that she was just a little sad. And I, I was getting ready to leave, and I just had that little nudge. And so I said, are you okay? And she said, yeah. I said, Hey, b- before I go, is there anything I could pray about with you? And I've been using that line more and more. And not everybody will take you up on it, but she did. And she asked me to pray about a situation in her life, and, and I did. And I introduced myself, thought I should introduce myself before I prayed. And she just kind of took my hand and held on, and we prayed. And there were some people that had come in the lobby, and I felt like, okay, I need to not probably stay here or embarrass her, and maybe I'll come back with my wife sometime and visit with her. But later I thought, man, how many times in my life have I missed the opportunity to pray for somebody and to connect to someone on a spiritual level? I mean, there's so much surface of like, hey, how are you? I can't believe the weather. Yeah, see ya. I mean, we connect like that a lot. But to actually connect to a human being on a spiritual level, and offer her something that matters, the Lord and his hope. I was so thankful for that moment, and I was convicted about how many times I've missed it. When I was 15, my best bud, Matt, was killed in a car wreck. And some of you have experienced grief like this, and one of the weird things that grief does sometimes is as you move on, you, you kind of daydream about what it would be like and I've thought, what would it be like if I could talk to Matt for just like five minutes? And I even thought this last year on the anniversary of his death. Like, what would it be like if I could just see him and talk to him? Or what if he called me and I could just pick up the phone and hear his voice and he'd say, Brian, hey, I'm here in heaven. Like, whoa. And I would want to talk to him and I would want to be like, what's it like up there? And imagine if I was talking to him and he was telling me about what it's like there and we were talking about all this time that we've missed being together and and then the phone started to break up, and there started to be static. And I'd be like, Matt, I thought you had good reception up there. You need to move around somewhere. You know, the something, the radiance of Jesus, like, messing up your AT&T signal. Walk in, and I'm like, wait, don't, don't go away. Don't go away. Don't go away. I, I would so desperately want him to not lose that signal. And I want you to have that same passion when you think about talking to God. Don't go away. Listen to me. The truth is that God's saying, I am. And God is saying back to you, don't go away. Don't hang up. Move where I can hear you. I I, want to hear you. and I want to talk to you. I died for you. Listen to me. Let me listen to you. The God of the universe loves you like that, my friends. 
He loves you and he wants to talk to you and he wants to spend time with you. It's one of the greatest privileges of your life. And don't miss it. Don't you want to be a person of prayer? Don't you want to pray about things that matter? Next week, Dave's closing out our Tough Question series with the question, what's up with heaven? What do we expect in heaven? And I believe that every person knows deep in their soul there's something beyond this life. I know people, sometimes people say, I don't believe in the afterlife. And I just think that somewhere way down deep within, they know there's got to be something beyond this life. Because if this is it, it's pretty depressing. And that means that we pray about stuff that matters because it's not just this. We're praying about life now and the life to come. And as I was thinking about this sermon of prayer, I thought, I have got to not just talk about prayer. We need to pray. And so I want to invite you to pray with me this morning. I'm going to lead you through a really simple tool, a a simple way to pray. It's printed in your sermon page, so you can go back to it later. It'll be up on the screen. You can look at it there. And I'm just going to kind of lead us in this. I just want to ask everybody, and maybe this is unusual for you, but I just want to ask you to quietly, where you are, to pray as I lead you for the next few moments so that we actually don't just hear about God this morning, but we talk to him. And if you want to close your eyes or if you want to kneel down or you want to get out a pen and write it out, that helps me sometimes. However is most comfortable for you. But we're just going to spend a couple of minutes here together, praying together. The, the prayer tool has been used for a long time as just ACTS, A-C-T-S. And the A stands for adoration. And so... Would you just quietly where you are pray and adore God? Tell God why you love him. The C is for confession. Maybe you need to confess a sin or a bad attitude to God today. The T is for thanksgiving. Just thank God for a few moments for the things he's given you in your life and how he works. is for supplication. It's just, it's asking God. It's request, needs. I want to just lead you through a few of them. First, would you ask God to work in your life, in your character? Ask God for wisdom. Ask God to send workers into the harvest. Ask God to move right now in the hearts of people you know who don't know the Lord.
pray for any needs you know of from our church family. Pray for the church leaders. for Fall Fun Fest coming up that as a result of people connecting to us that night that people's eternities will be changed. Pray for your family or friends who have special needs or hurts right now. 